Good morning. How y'all doing? Good, 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 good. Um, do you guys know what the average life expectancy of the housefly is? Well, you're really close. It's 28 days. 28 days. So all those, all those uh, flies that we let in during the backpack giveaway, I got two more weeks to deal with them. So I got that going for me, which is a good thing. I'll try not to knock anything over this morning, but uh, I want to begin by asking a question. I like to do that very often. How many of you remember when you were a very wee child? You think back, you remember that when you were really, really small? You know, even at my age, right, my advancing years, I can still remember when I was really small wanting to be someone. Now, thankfully, my mother, who happens to be here today, she'll really appreciate this, had the foresight to preserve some memorabilia just in case I didn't remember. So... One of my earliest memories, see what I got here, you know, like this. You guys know what that is? That's a pretty cool one too, right? Got some hide on there, right? You know, I was going to wear it, but apparently I was a little bit smaller back then. But I wanted to be a cowboy. I lost the gun, but... I wanted to be a cowboy. didn't matter that there were no cowboys on the south side of Chicago. I wanted to be one. I mean, the Lone Ranger. That guy was cool. I wanted to be like him. But then I guess that faded. Then I wanted to be a professional baseball player. I saw myself playing second base. For the Chicago White Sox. Sorry, you Cub fans. I grew up on the south side. so. But then I started playing hockey. I don't have a hockey stick in there. That would be kind of sticking out. But then I wanted to play right wing for the Chicago Blackhawks. And, and apparently, apparently, I found uh, this essay that I had written when I was very young. This is gold, by the way. This is a Pulitzer. If I got an A+. Plus. teacher even wrote, great. But apparently, I wanted to be a motorcycle racing, hunting, fishing, camping, outdoor person. All rolled into one. That's who I wanted to be. So, do you guys remember... Dreaming about who you wanted to be when you were growing up. I mean, I think I embodied a lot of the typical ones. Maybe there's some others out there. I don't know. Policeman, fireman, farmer. Bank teller. Bank teller. Interesting. That's an interesting one. You get your hands on the money, right? Maybe you're still dreaming about it. I know that my wife 
is wondering what I want to do when I grow up, if I ever grow up. You know, that motorcycle riding, hunting, yeah, that sounds pretty good, really. But have you ever thought in terms of who you do not want to be? You know, as kids growing up, we dream about who we want to be, but rarely do we think in terms of who do we not want to be. Well, today, as we continue in our study of the first nine books of Proverbs, we're going to learn about three people we do not want to be. And this is all part of the wisdom that Solomon is trying to impart to his son. Now, the book of Solomon is a collection of proverbs and poems, and, and, and Solomon is writing these to his son. But we know, we know that this wisdom is for us today as well. It is still relevant today. The book of Proverbs is part of what is referred to as the wisdom literature that we find in the Bible. And we've said many times in the past that our lifelong goal is to grow in the knowledge and grace of God. So we're studying Proverbs to better understand wisdom and how we can stay on the path of wisdom. Throughout the book, we're, we're, we're given really two choices. The path of foolishness, which leads to death and destruction, and the path of wisdom, which leads to life. And if we heed the teachings that Solomon is sharing with us here, we will choose the correct path. But it all begins with what? The fear of the Lord. Hallelujah. Proverbs 1 verse 7. Let's hear it. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Oh man, by the end of the summer, you guys are going to be doing this by yourself. I'm going to be calling on people. Uh, maybe I won't do that. But Solomon tells us that it all begins with the fear of the Lord. And fear of the Lord means that we understand who God is. And we understand our relationship to Him. Right? He is God and we are not. We are His creation. Therefore, we revere God. We worship Him. We, we stand in awe of who He is. And yes, we do fear Him. And because he is God, we can trust him completely. And we do. We do trust him. We depend on him. We rely on him for everything. So today, we're going to look at what I'm referring to as practical wisdom. That's the sermon title for today. And in the scripture that we're going to look at, Solomon once again gives us practical warnings. These are practical warnings. And if we heed these warnings, we will stay on the correct path, the path of wisdom. Now, as I alluded to earlier, an alternate title could be three people you don't want to be. And Solomon warns us not to become one of these three people that he goes on to describe. But you know, it goes a little bit deeper because he does give us an idea of who it is we do want to be. 
So our scripture for today is from Proverbs chapter 6. We're going to look at verses 1 through 19. So if you want to turn in your Bibles to Proverbs back chapter 6, that's where we're going to kind of hang in, in verses 1 through 19. Now, if you've been paying attention, you would notice something. You would notice that this particular teaching here, it's, it's wedged into, right in the middle of his instructions on sexual immorality. If you remember last week, we looked at specifically chapter 5, but we also saw that the end of chapter 6 and all of chapter 7 dealt with sexual immorality, with adultery. So, in a sense, this, this doesn't make sense. It doesn't seem to fit. Why is he wedging this right in here? But many commentators believe, and I do as well, that just as adultery can lead to financial ruin, as we said last week, what he describes in the beginning of chapter 6 here, in these first 19 verses, can also lead to financial ruin. It is the path of foolishness. So who are these three people that we don't want to be? Well, let's find out. The first person that you don't want to be is the debtor. The debtor. Verse 1 begins, My son, if you have put up security for your neighbor, if you have shaken hands and pledged for a stranger, you have been trapped by what you said and snared by the words of your mouth. So what we see here is really the front end of an if-then statement. Remember we talked about those a number of weeks ago. If-then statements. Conditional statements. If this, then that. And the warning that we see here is against guaranteeing the debts of others. Regardless of who it is, whether it's a family member, a friend, a stranger. Now, to be clear, this isn't like lending someone money. And it's, it's not even like co-signing for a loan. It'd be more like offering up your finances as a line of credit for someone else. And verse 2 makes it clear that this is a trap. You are ensnared by your promise to pay. See, pledging security for someone else puts you at their mercy. You're stuck if they decide not to pay. And this is a bad decision. Proverbs makes it clear. As a matter of fact, in Proverbs chapter 17, Solomon writes this, One who has no sense shakes hands in pledge and puts up security for a neighbor. Not a wise choice. And we see the back half of this kind of if-then conditional statement in verses 3 through 5. So if you've trapped yourself like this, then, he says, so do this, my son, to free yourself since you have fallen into your neighbor's hands. Go to the point of exhaustion and give your neighbor no rest. Allow no sleep to your eyes, no slumber to your eyelids. Free yourself like a gazelle from the hand of the hunter, like a bird from the snare of the fowler. So do you, do you hear the sense of urgency that Solomon speaks with and writes with here? You know, you get yourself into a situation like this, get out. 
get out. Do everything you can with all the energy you have to get out. You know, the images of an animal that's being hunted or trapped, and you, you hunters know that an animal will do anything they can to get free and to run. That's the kind of urgency that Solomon is talking about here. But I want you to notice that in this, these verses here, what Solomon says is yourself. Twice, twice he says, free yourself. And what he's saying here is you are responsible. You made the promise. It's up to you to get yourself out. Honestly, honestly. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5. He said, let your yes be yes and your no, no. In other words, live up to your word. Live up to the oath that you've taken. You are responsible for your promises. No one else. No one else. Matter of fact, in Psalm 15, David tells us there that God honors those who fear the Lord, who keep an oath even when it hurts. You sign on the dotted line, you're on the hook. Live up to it. Live up to it. So, so Solomon emphasizes the, really the importance of this particular situation that, that he describes here, providing surety or security for another. But really that kind of begs the larger question, is all debt bad? Well, the truth is, friends, that not all debt is necessarily Bad. However, however, we live in a society of instant gratification. Right? I mean, you don't have to wait for anything that you want. And I emphasize the word want here because we need to make a distinction and understand the difference between need and want. But culture says you don't have to wait for anything you want. You can have it now. All you got to do is sign on the dotted line or plunk down that, that visa card. You can have it. Now, don't wait. Don't wait. You deserve it. You deserve it now. But the Bible warns us, friends. The Bible warns us. And the Bible cautions us when considering taking on debt. Proverbs has a lot to say about this. As a matter of fact, in Proverbs 22, we see the warning, do not be the one who shakes hands and pledge or puts up security for debts. If you lack the means to pay, your very bed will be snatched from under you. Don't take on silly debts. Don't take on debts that you can't afford. It's only going to land you in trouble. You have a lot to lose. Besides, also in Proverbs chapter 22, we're told the rich rule over the poor and the borrower is slave to the lender. And anyone who's had a lot of debt, especially credit card debt, will tell you, they will agree 
and tell you that being in deep debt, it's very stressful. It's very stressful. It can be frustrating and it it can cause you to feel hopeless. And then, then friends, we are serving money instead of money serving us. You know, God wants us to handle money His way. His way. Remember what we read in Proverbs chapter 3. This is just a few weeks ago. It says, Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of your crops. If you got this mountain of debt, you're trying to make all these minimum payments. Oh, let's see if we have anything left for God at the end. No, you honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits. See, again, when we are a slave to debt, we're serving money rather than God. In Matthew 6, Jesus tells us, No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one, love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. The warning, friends, is be cautious. Be cautious when considering taking on debt. You don't want to be the debtor. The second person that you don't want to be is who I'm going to call the deadbeat. The deadbeat. Solomon calls him the sluggard. He says in verse 6, Go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider its ways and be wise. It has no commander, no overseer, no ruler, yet it stores its provisions in summer and gathers its food at harvest. So Solomon here, he's speaking to the lazy person, the sluggard, and he says, look, look, there's much to be learned from nature, in particular the ant. And the ant, friends, is the proverbial hard worker. And his ways are an example of wisdom. Because without oversight, without a boss looking over his shoulder, the ant gets the work done. The ant gathers food. And he works diligently when there is work to be done. It says in summer and in harvest, he's working, the work gets done. Now, like the ant, we were created for work. We were created for work all the way back in Genesis 1. Adam is given work to do in the garden. Now, work is sometimes difficult and unfruitful because of sin, but the bottom line is God designed us for work. You know, in the New Testament, Paul addressed the issue of deadbeats In the Thessalonian church, there were some there that were refusing to work, presumably waiting just for Christ's return. Not going to work. And Paul gives them a command. If you don't work, you don't eat. It's really simple. You don't work, you don't eat. And stay away from those who refuse to work, those who refuse to heed this command. So, This deals with the issue of being a physical deadbeat. But you know, there's another application to this as well. 
Because, friends, this applies to being a spiritual deadbeat as well. Slothful to the things of God. Bible reading, study, prayer, meditation, corporate worship, generosity with our time, our talents, and our treasure. I mean, what could be more important than speaking to and hearing from and serving the God of creation, our God, our Creator? Do we know Him? Do we know who He is? Do we understand who we are in relationship to Him? Do we give Him the honor and the glory and the reverence that He demands? Do we fear the Lord? Verses 9 through 11, Solomon speaks to the consequences of being a deadbeat. He says, how long will you lie there, you sluggard? When will you get up from your sleep? A little slumber, a little sleep, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come on you like a thief, and scarcity like an armed man. Friends, the fate of the deadbeat is in his laziness, sleeping and resting when he should be working. See, slothfulness only brings poverty and scarcity. And it is, at its heart, a rejection of God's plan for us. And just as being a physical deadbeat leads to financial and physical poverty, being a spiritual deadbeat leads to spiritual poverty. You don't want to be the deadbeat. The third person that you don't want to be is the divider. The divider. Verse 12, he calls him a troublemaker and a villain who goes about with a corrupt mouth, who winks maliciously with his eye, signals with his feet, and motions with his fingers, who plots evil with deceit in his heart. He always stirs up conflict. So here Solomon is warning against the one who seeks to cause strife among others. The English Standard Version refers to this person as the worthless person, a wicked man. And he's worthless because he devotes himself to worthless endeavors. The main feature really is how he lives his life. The NIV says he goes about. The ESV and other translations say he walks. He walks. And if you recall, when we look at the Bible, when it talks about how someone walks, it it really refers to how they live their lives. And it says here he walks. He goes about with a corrupt mouth. And these verses show how, how his whole body is consumed with this effort. But really the focus, the focus is truly on the second half of verse 14 where the NIV says he always stirs up conflict. I like the English Standard Version. It says, out of his perverted heart, he devises evil and is constantly sowing discord. Discord. And this isn't just an Old Testament problem. This isn't just something that 
that uh, Solomon dealt with. No, 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 no. Paul has several warnings about this in the New Testament as well. Romans 16, I urge you, brothers and sisters, to watch out for those who cause divisions. Keep away from them. He gives us some really good advice in Titus chapter 3. He says, warn a divisive person once and then warn them a second time. After that, have nothing to do with them. You may be sure that such people are warped and sinful. They are self-condemned. You don't want to sow discord. Rather, what Paul tells us to do is found in Ephesians chapter 4. He says that we should make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. The condemnation of the divider is sure. Verse 15 of Proverbs 6 says, Therefore, or because of this, disaster will overtake him in an instant. He will suddenly be destroyed without remedy. And the end, friends, of the divider is destruction. It's the path of foolishness that leads to destruction. The person is without hope. Beyond healing is what the English Standard Version says. And how will it happen? It'll happen suddenly. Suddenly, like a trap door opening underneath him. And quite honestly, the, la- the final verses here, 16 through 19, are really a continuation of this theme. What we'll see here is that these verses are really a Hebrew riddle also pointing to the one that stirs up conflict, the divider. In 16 through 19, Solomon writes this, There are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are detestable to him, Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked schemes, feet that are quick to rush into evil, a false witness who pours out lies, and a person who stirs up conflict in the community. So this, this, this Hebrew riddle here, this, this, this literary device where he says six, no seven, it really, it really draws our attention to that seventh item. And that seventh item is the focus of God's hatred. Again, the English Standard Version calls him the one who sows discord among the brothers. And the fact that this is, that this is in there twice, it's really highlighted and pointed to twice, it tells us something about the importance of this. The importance of unity in the church. Friends, the divider is dangerous because the divider will destroy unity and ultimately destroy the church. So we don't want to be the debtor. We don't want to be the deadbeat. deadbeat, And we don't want to be the divider. So who do we want to be? Well, those last three verses really give us kind of a clue. Because if those are the seven things that God detests, stands to reason that the opposite are what God desires. So if we have a heart for God, 
We won't be haughty. We won't be proud. No, we'll live our lives like Jesus did, humbly. We won't be untruthful in our speech. No, we'll do our best to be honest. We won't shed innocent blood. In other words, we won't commit murder in our hearts. We won't hate. No, we'll love and we'll seek to preserve life. We won't devise wicked schemes. No, no, we'll do our best to keep our thoughts pure. We won't rush to evil. No, we will be eager to do good. We won't be a false witness, but we'll do our best to be an honest witness. And friends, we sure, surely will not sow discord in the community, but do our best to live in peaceful unity. That's who we want to be. People after God's heart, seeking to please Him. Not because we think we gain something by it, but because of what He's done for us. But you know, there's a problem. And the problem is, there's a part of each one of these people that Solomon describes, there's a part of each one of them in us. See, we're all debtors, friends, because of the sinful nature that lives inside of us. We're all debtors. But Christ, Christ pledged security for that debt. Not only co-signed, but paid the debt in full. And he did that when he died on the cross for you and for me. And at some level, friends, we're all deadbeats. But again, we look to Christ for the incredible work that he has done on our behalf. And when his work was finished, he rested at the Father's right hand. And we can rest too, knowing that the work is done. And because of that, we know that our work, our labor for the Lord is not in vain. And sadly, we are all dividers. But friends, it is Christ who unifies us, who unites us as one body of believers. Paul reminds us in Galatians 3 that we are one in Christ. So we cling to the work that He's done on our behalf because in it, He has put to death all envy, all strife, and all divisions. And He can create in us new hearts, filled with love for God and love for one another. So maybe that motorcycle racing, hunting, fishing, camping, outdoors thing, maybe that sounds good. Maybe that's who you want to be. But regardless, regardless, friends, of what you do, regardless of your vocation, I pray, I pray that we would be a people after God's heart, looking to Christ as our only hope of being the people that we were created to be. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you, we praise you, we thank you so much. We thank you for your word, Lord. For in it we find wisdom, wisdom 
And Lord, we, we, I just pray that we would be a people that would, that would take these teachings and, and, and internalize them. Help us to write them on our hearts, that we might live them out, that we might stay on that path of wisdom, knowing that if we falter, Christ is there to pick us up. Christ is there to pick us up, and we are forgiven. Lord, we thank you for that. We ask for your blessing in Jesus' name. Amen.